Okay, I got to start this morning with a confession, okay? So bear with me. Sometimes I watch cooking shows on TV. Um, so anybody with me? Okay, is this a safe place? Okay. Uh, I'm just, I mean, for real. Actually, that's one of our favorite things to do. My family, we love to sit around. We watch, watch Food Network and, and especially shows that are competitive cooking shows because that's more manly. Uh, and, I, and I love, uh, one of my favorite ones that we watch with our family is a show called Chopped. Anybody seen Chopped? Yes. All right. Cool. So uh, if you don't know Chopped, um, you should check it out. It's a pretty fun show. Basically, the premise of the show is you get these four chefs. They're normally super talented people. Many of them own restaurants. They're executive chefs. They're really talented chefs. And they have to cook a delicious meal out of whatever is in a mystery basket of ingredients. And so inside that basket, they open it up, and there's normally a couple of normal things. There's like a chicken breast or like some green beans or like something like, okay, I've made this before. But then there's always a couple, two, maybe three, weird ingredients. There's uh, chicken feet, you know, and, and, there, and there's like uh, some like pig snout or like a, a root vegetable that they've never seen before or like, I don't know, cow eyeballs, goat brains. These are all real ones that have been on the show. And they have to take these weird ingredients and they have to use them in their dish and then they compete and see who's the best. And so there, there are ingredients in the basket that they do want that anyone would want. And there are ingredients in the basket that they do not want that no one would want or most people wouldn't want. And then from those ingredients, they have to create a delicious meal. I start with that for this one reason. Isn't that how life goes? We are handed a mystery bag of ingredients. And it's like God says, all right, work with this. And we just have to create a delicious meal out of it. We've got to make life happen. We gotta uh, be parents, we gotta be co-workers, we gotta be whatever, and, and sometimes life gives us the stuff that we would expect. I mean, we, we, we would all love to have a healthy childhood. We'd all love to have loving parents and mad skills and talents to do everything that we wish we could do. We would love there to be world peace. Wouldn't that be great? We'd love to have the perfect metabolism so you could have a milkshake anytime you want. You know, you're like, I could work with that. I could work with that bagging, but that's not how life goes, is it? No, we get other stuff. Some of us end up with absent parents. Some of us end up with bad health and unemployment, rebellious kids that we don't know what to do with, with broken marriages, with terrorism in the world. It's a mystery basket of ingredients. What do we do when we don't get the ingredients that we had hoped for? But we're still expected to make life as good as it can be. Last week, we began a study through one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. His name is Joseph, and uh, Joseph's story is crazy. It's a roller coaster. Joseph comes from one of the most famous families in history. Joseph is the uh, great-grandson, no, yes, the great-grandson of Abraham, okay? Abraham, this is their song about him, Father Abraham. Abraham is the father of three of the world's biggest faith groups, the Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians, and all of them can trace their spiritual heritage and faith back to this guy, Abraham. One of the most famous families to have ever lived. And, and Joseph is the great-grandson of that guy. Um, now, they weren't perfect. God uses unperfect people all the time. That was the whole story last week. And, but in Joseph's life, we would find that Joseph is blessed by God. In fact, he becomes one of the most uh, prominent people in the world in his lifetime. He gets to work uh, under the Pharaoh of Egypt. He saves thousands and thousands of lives by helping out during a time of famine. And he leaves this legacy of faith that anybody could model in their lives. But before he does any of that, 
He has to go through this roller coaster of a life and overcome some big speed bumps along the way. Last week we talked about how he had to overcome his dysfunctional family and some crazy stuff there. If you missed that or if you need a reminder, his dad, Jacob, was married to four women at the same time. And from those unions, there were 11 other brothers he had to deal with. And of those brothers, he was the least popular because he was daddy's favorite. And daddy gave him all kinds of special treatment and this special uh, coat, this ornate jacket that we're gonna talk about in just a minute. And it was bad for him. And Joseph also made it bad for himself. I mean, we, we, we learned, let's look at Genesis 37, verse four. This was from last week. <laughs> okay, it'd be cool if any of our names were in the Bible. Like, that'd be pretty cool, right? But what if it was attached to this sentence? But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. This is Joseph's reality. And we talked about some other bad things he went through, the death of his mother and some other things. It just kind of piled on and piled on. And he didn't help his situation out much because, uh, for one, he was kind of a tattletale. And we don't know a lot of details, but it was included in the story, which makes me believe this is very significant. Uh, there were times that he was just ratting his brothers out to their dad. And I got to remind you, these are not little kids. These are not seven, eight, nine-year-olds. These are grown men. And he's like, Dad, did you know what Reuben did? And like Reuben gets in trouble. He's like, what? I'm 46. Like, don't tell Dad. But this is who Joseph is. He does that. He also, he flaunted the fact that their dad liked him more. And he did so by wearing this, this ornate robe that his dad gave him. We talked about how this robe is like, we don't know much about it. It's just called an ornate robe or ornate garment. Uh, it's been kind of fancified as a technicolor dream coat, you know, by, by uh, Broadway and things like that. But the point is, you know, imagine if, if, if your dad gave you like a bicycle and he gave your sibling like a brand new Mustang. Like, this is kind of the comparison. And they, they really hated him for this coat. Like, it seems silly, but that's what was going down. And then it, this, the straw that broke the camel's back was when he began to foolishly tell his brothers, who already hated him, about these dreams he was having. And in these dreams, he's like, oh, man, let me tell you the dream I had. Uh, so check it out. You guys were all bowing down to me like I was your king. And it was great. Oh, there's this other dream? And you guys were all bowing down to me like I was the sun in the sky. And his brothers were like, who does this guy think he is? He thinks we're gonna, even says like, you guys and our parents, we're all bowing down to me. And so where we left him last week was with his brothers plotting to kill him, dead. Not like threatening or like, like bad emoji texts, but like they wanted him gone. And so this one day, uh, Joseph's dad sends him out to check on his brothers in the field. Now, they were far away. You don't picture like in the backyard. This is actually like several villages over. If you look at like the names that they mention and you compare it to a map. So Joseph has to go on this journey and look for them. But he sends him out, go check on your brothers. And it was interesting. Do you notice where Joseph is not? He's not in the field working with his brothers. He's back with daddy at the house. Of course he is. Joseph always gets the easy jobs. I love the way the narrator tells that story in Genesis because it really paints a picture of the way his brothers perceived him and it kind of goes on to become part of his legacy. And so he goes out to find his brothers and guess what he chooses to wear to go find them? Well, of course, my best coat. I gotta walk 20 miles in this you know, field. I should wear my best coat. 
and they hate him for it. So uh, we're gonna pick up uh, today in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it up. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, look it up on your phone or the scripture will be on the screen behind me. And I always like to share that if you need a Bible of your own, uh, there are Bibles on this shelf by the door and it is yours. Go take one. You can have it now or you can grab it before you leave today. We wanna give away free Bibles anytime someone needs one. He's walking out to the field and he's wearing this coat and I can only imagine based on what it says that this coat actually made him stand out. You ever go to like the the fair and you make your kid wear a bright yellow shirt, you know, because like I wanna find you. Like, because they see him coming from a distance. Okay, we're gonna pick up. This is Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 18. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. Of course they did. He's got on that stupid coat. Here comes Joseph. So as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and we can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of those dreams. But when Reuben heard their schemes, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness and then he'll die without our laying hands on him. Reuben's a good guy. Actually, he redeems himself because Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So Reuben does have a bit of a conscience here. So when Reuben arrives, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, which I'm sure brought them great joy. They grabbed him. They threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. It had no water in it. A cistern is... um, it's very common, especially in the ancient world. You dig a big pit in the ground and you would line it with rocks or maybe if, you, if they had the ability to do some sort of concrete or brick or something and it would become, it would fill with rainwater essentially and then it becomes like a well and this is a place where you can draw water from, from cooking, from drink, for drinking, for uh, watering the, the uh, flocks and things like that. That's, but this one has no water in it. It's dry. We're gonna change the word cistern. We're gonna call it what it is, a pit. Okay, and Joseph gets thrown into a pit. I've had some serious brawls with my younger brother. A lot of you have met my brother Jason, and he could tell you more stories. Uh, I think I knocked some of the stories out of his mind. Like, we had some fist fights that, uh, man, it was brutal. Uh, we, uh, we shot BB guns at each other on purpose, in anger, because we were playing World War I, and that was how you play World War I. Uh, you know, we called each other's names. We screamed at each other. It came to a head, though, one day when I threw a pair of metal haircutting scissors, like a dagger, at him, and it stuck beside his head in a headboard of his bed. It was like, like wiggling beside his head. And I remember we both froze. We were like, la, 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 And then it was just quiet. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think probably the next sentence was, don't tell mom. But... That was the last time we had a really big throwdown fight like that because I was like, I don't want to kill him. I don't want to like gouge his eyes out. I just wanted him to be a little bit scared. Hopefully you've never been thrown into a pit. Hopefully you've, ne- hopefully no one's ever thrown haircut and scissors at you. I, I hope that's not happened. Now I got to, that was like 25 years ago. We're buds now, like we're best friends. So it's all, we're good, I think. His therapy has been really good. Uh, but Maybe you haven't been thrown into a pit to die, but here's kind of a groundwork I want to lay for us today. We have all looked up and found ourselves in a pit, a place where we're forced to deal with a mystery basket of ingredients. 
And some things happen over time. The pit is dug slowly. We don't even see it happening. Financial debt can be this way. You look up and you're like, $80,000 in debt? I will never get out of it. This is seven credit cards. Some of you have been there. And it's a pit. Maybe it's a relationship issue. You didn't realize things were going downhill until all of a sudden you looked up and you were in a pit. Sometimes it happens gradually. Sometimes it happens quickly, like Joseph was walking along. going to go, Hey, guys, Dad wants to know, oh, I'm in a pit. And you just, that's kind of how it happens sometimes. Like it might be a bad doctor's visit, and he just tells you, listen, we found some spots. Everything's about to change for you. It might be, you know, a phone call that you got or a police officer knocked on your door. And all of a sudden, it's just everything changed. A few years ago, one of my best friends from high school, uh, they were happily having a pregnancy. And then just a few days after the baby was born, the baby passed away. You don't plan for that. It throws you to a pit. And I'm going to describe a pit for you because you've been here. Pits are dark. Pits are lonely. When you're in a pit, you feel helpless. You can't see a ladder or a rope or a hand reaching down. You're just down there. A lot of times we have our arms wrapped around our knees and our face down, and we don't even want to know what's going on around us. It surrounds you, and maybe right now, even though you showed up in public and you've got a smile on your face, maybe right now you feel like you're in a pit. I want you to know something about pits, especially if that's you right now. When you're in a pit, you can't see the full picture. You have no idea what's happening just above the ridge. You don't know what help is on the way. The beauty of the church and the kingdom of God is actually, the absolute joy of Jesus Christ is that right now, you are surrounded by help. You might not even realize it. We, those sitting around you, might not have had the moment to think, should I ask, are you okay? Do you need a hand? Sometimes if you're in a pit, you got to be like, help, and people need to know. One thing that I have learned about God in my own life, in my own pits, is that you are not alone. There is hope. And in fact, right now, you are surrounded by it. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But I hope that that can kind of give you a place to start if you're feeling like you're in a pit right now. The problem is that when you're down there, there are temptations. No matter, you might even hear help coming, but there are temptations. Two that, that jump out to me. The first temptation is the temptation to blame other people. It might be very merited. Someone might have pushed you in the pit. That's what happened to Joseph. There's something that we call a victim mentality. And it's a cycle that we get into where maybe someone did push you into a pit, but because all we want to do to fix it is blame the people that pushed us is we never get out of the pit. In fact, we become susceptible to being victim again, again, and again. That's one reality. It might have been someone else's fault, but the second reality is blaming someone else is still not going to get you out of the pit. And a third reality about that, blaming others, is that it might be partially your fault or all your fault. But guess what? Blaming yourself isn't going to get you out of the pit either. So that's one of the temptations. We want to blame other people. Another big temptation, this happens a lot, is push people away from church and God, is we want to blame God. And it's a fair question. God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm not going to stand here and, and, and act like that's a dumb question. I've asked that question. I don't, a couple things about that. One, I don't know why God allows the bad things to happen. I don't. But here's one thing I do know. He does allow them to happen. 
And there's a lot of places we can look in scripture and a lot of places, especially you can look in the lives of faithful people who have been through a hard time. What I do know is that the perception that when the bad things happen, first of all, they don't happen because God is trying to strike us with lightning. That is the perception of pagans who believe in gods who throw lightning down metaphorically and are trying to play games with us. Uh, Sin in the world is what causes bad things to happen. That's very clear from the teachings that we get from God. But the second thing is this, though we may feel absolutely alone, God never leaves us. But when we're in a pit, you can't see what's on top. You can't see what's around you. And it might feel that way. And that's where we find Joseph. He's in this pit. So we'll get back to his story, then we'll come back to us in, in a minute. See, instead of casting blame, one thing we can do is cry out to God. Let's see how this works out for Joseph. Uh, This is Genesis chapter 37, starting verse 25. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, referring to his brothers, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum and balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Don't you appreciate those details? That's interesting. Um, My wife said, they're making essential oils. Uh, (laughs) Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up a crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. He's got such a big heart, this Judah. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Let's sell him as a slave. Um, And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Did you catch how that story started? Did you catch what those brothers were doing right after they threw their brother in a pit? They were having a picnic. It says, and they sat down to eat. Now, can you you picture this? You, You just got thrown into a pit. What are you doing down there? Help, guys, come on, guys. Give me a, guys. And they're like, Hey, Judah, did you bring that, uh, that ham on rye? I love your ham on rye. You know, and they're like passing the, they're eating. They sit, but anyway, that's cold. That's cold. We hope you die. Hey, pass me the deviled eggs. And then they sit there and they look up and they see uh, this, this group of traveling salesmen and the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. And so Joseph has an idea. You know, instead of killing him, here's the thing. He says, after all, he is our flesh and blood. Can I translate that? We ain't going to make any money killing him, but we could probably make, I don't know, 20 pieces of silver? That's too high? Yeah, we could make 20 pieces of silver selling our brother to these guys. Well, that was easy. That was easy. You know, don't get my hands dirty. Don't have to worry about it. Dan, this chicken salad sandwich is amazing. Bye, Joseph. Off he goes. Another roller coaster moment for Joseph. It's been up and down and up and down since the day he was born. He has had drama in his life. And now Joseph is out of the pit. Yay! But now he's a slave. Boo! His mystery basket is pretty rough. And I don't think any of us would have chosen any of the ingredients that Joseph gets in his basket. Uh, But here's what we've got. This is where we get to one of the the coolest parts of this story Um, because we get to watch this story. We get to see how God works even in the chaos of Joseph's life. By now, Joseph should be dead. 
There's no reason Joseph should still be alive. Multiple times his brother's like, let's just kill him. And if you're like cold-blooded enough that you're like, let's just kill our brother, like these guys weren't really like pulling any punches. They were ready to go. And they were hardened men of the wilderness. They were herdsmen. Like these guys had probably fought off some big animals. They probably carried a little knife in their pocket and they would never have been caught. But he wasn't dead. First, Reuben talks their brothers out of killing him. Let's throw him in a cistern instead. Is it significant that there was no water in the cistern? Maybe. He didn't drown. I don't know if that matters or not. But it would have mattered to you if there was water in the cistern and you got thrown in. Then, instead of just walking on back home, what do his brothers do? They sit down and have a picnic. And then instead of eating their picnic and going home, what does Judah see? A traveling band of Ishmaelites who might just want to buy their brother. And see, it doesn't look like real promising. You're not like, oh yeah, sign me up for that plan B. But Joseph isn't dead. And I think there's some reasons for that. First of all, I mean, we learned through his story. I think Joseph had some pride he needed to work on. He really did. He might have been a kind of arrogant guy. I can't think of a better way to take you down a few notches and to sell you into slavery. I don't think that needs to be the plan for most people, but that's going to go on. That's going to happen. Uh, it turns out also that God was ready to receive some glory in Egypt. We're going to learn that for the rest of the story. And he was like, Joseph, I got just the guy to help me get some glory in Egypt. Come on, get in this pit. Get in that wagon. And there they go moving. We never know how God is moving behind the scenes. And here's the hard thing to swallow. Sometimes the thing that God allows to happen to develop us is not what we want. I'm not saying these brothers should have thrown him in the pit. I think God could have delivered him before that and taught him something before that. I'm not saying that he, sh- he should have been arrogant and all these other things. I think God, this story may have never happened if, er- if he just kept himself quiet and not told his brothers about these dreams. But since it did, God's like, okay, I can work with that. Let's see more of what's going on. Verse 37, I mean verse 36 of chapter 37. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. We are so clueless of the things God's doing in our life. And what's crazy is Joseph has no idea what he has just walked into or been drugged into possibly in a box. I don't know how he got there, but he has no idea because Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, the most powerful nation in this region, potentially in the entire world at this time, and Potiphar was the head of Pharaoh's bodyguard. This is about as close as some country bumpkin shepherd would ever get to the center of influence and power in the world that they lived in. Remember God showed him a dream that one day people might be bound down to him? This is probably not how he imagined it coming true. And by the way, he's still a slave. God's not done with him yet. Here he goes. He wakes up now in Potiphar's house. Verse, uh, now we're in chapter 39. We're going to skip a whole chapter, get to Genesis 39. I love this. Because we wouldn't have written this ourselves. But listen to how it plays out after we know the full story. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. There's more, but I just want to sit there before that comma. The Lord was with, does it sound like he was with Joseph? He was in a pit. His brothers want to kill him. He's, he's sold as a slave. He ends up as a slave in this guy's house. If you're in the pit, I want you to know the Lord has not left you. A lot of times we just got to see how it plays out. So Joseph succeeded in everything he did. Why did he succeed? Use your grammar skills. Because Joseph's the man? No. 
The Lord was with him, so Joseph succeeded in everything he did. He served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did, and this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant and put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. I love history. I'm a history buff. I read history books for fun. And I know that makes some of you cringe. You're like, what? That's why I left high school. I was tired of learning about people that are dead. I love history books. And this is what great history writers can do that we often don't get the uh, benefit of in the Bible. Uh, History, when we study history, often we're just skipping across the highlights. There was a war. Nine years it was over. Then there was a new king. Then he was assassinated 10 years later. And like, there's all these gaps. And so great historians dig and they try to tell the story. And so in this story, we get like, Joseph was his daddy's favorite. Then he was thrown into a pit. Then he was a Midianite slave. Then he got sold to Potiphar. And now he's in charge of Potiphar's house. But that stuff didn't happen overnight. Let me try to fill in the gaps for you just a little bit. Try to imagine with me. I don't know the details. We're not giving them, but you can only imagine. He was a, he was a slave in an ancient culture. And he was from a different people. He wasn't an Egyptian that was a slave. He was a different people who'd been moved to Egypt. I can only imagine. He walks in, and this guy, he doesn't become the leader overnight. First of all, someone else had that job before he did. So at some point, he had to earn that spot from someone else. And he probably cleaned the latrines, the toilets. He probably served the food. He probably washed the floors. My guess is he got yelled at a lot. He might have been beaten He had to sleep on a cold floor. He had to eat the leftovers. I don't know the ins and outs of the the slaves in Potiphar's house, but my guess is his life wasn't all peaches and cream. At any time in that process, he could have said, forget this. This is stupid. He could have been belligerent. He could have sat like a lot of people do with their arms crossed and their lips clamped and be like, I'm not going to do this. He could have tried to secretly escape or kill his master. But he didn't. Apparently, he got up in the morning. He got himself dressed. He showed up to work. He worked hard. He probably showed lots of integrity and work ethic. You don't get promoted like that when people are like, I'm not sure if I can trust this guy. And he gained a reputation. It would have been so easy for him to just say no, to blame his brothers, to sit and brood on them, to blame God. But he didn't. And guess who noticed? His boss. And his boss looks up and goes, God is with this guy. Maybe, I, maybe I've been wrong about this guy. Maybe instead of just being this slave, he should be my personal attendant. And he gets that position. The Lord was with Joseph. God was faithful to Joseph. And I think largely because Joseph was faithful to just doing his best every day to just try to honor God through what he was doing. I'm sure there were days where he woke up like, I can't do this today. I feel positive there were nights in bed where he was like, I wonder if I could squeeze through that window. (laughs) But apparently he didn't. And God took something really bad that was done to Joseph, and he started making something really good out of it. And it's going to get even better than this. Oh, so much better. Eventually. Actually, first, it's going to get a lot worse for Joseph. We see this over and over in the Bible, that God, like a talented chef, 
can take the mystery ingredients we end up with and he can make them into something beautiful. And he's starting this process with Joseph. We're gonna pick up that story next week. I wanna look at another passage from scripture that just really jumped out to me as I was thinking through this. King David was a great uh, king of Israel. He was someone who did his best. He was called uh, a man after God's own heart. In fact, I think our next year's story of a God chaser is gonna be David. We wanna study his life. Um, so much we can learn from King David. But he was a lot like Joseph, too. Like, he had the roller coaster. He made some big mistakes, all this stuff, too. But he writes this poem that we get in Psalm chapter 30. Uh, and so if you're in a pit right now, maybe this is something that you can kind of meditate over for a little while. This is Psalm chapter 30. We're going to read the whole thing. Very seldom do I read a whole chapter of the Bible, but we're going to do it. Listen to this as a prayer from David. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths, and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. I love that the word pit is used there. I didn't know that until after I looked the verse up. But it's so, so fitting. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for, in, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Do you need to hear that? Do you need to hear that this morning? That there is weeping sometimes, but rejoicing can come in the morning. He says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made me royal. You made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hide your face, I was dismayed. Maybe you felt that way. It's when you can't see over the rim. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Ironically, we learn later in scripture, yeah, it will. The rocks will cry out to God if we don't. But David's distraught. And he's like, man, what, what, what good is coming from this? God, why would you do this to me? Lord, hear me and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praise and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is a man who wrote something after the roller coaster. He could look back into his life, and here's the thing, a lot of you can do that too. You can look back over your life, even if you're in a pit right now. One of the greatest things that I have found for my own self, uh, mental health and stuff when I'm going through hard times is to try to go back and, and find the places where I have seen God. I'm blessed that I've been able to experience that. Maybe you haven't experienced that very much. Maybe you just haven't noticed it. Another thing we can do is look at other people's lives and see that God was faithful to them. And then what we're promised is that he'll be faithful to all of us as we turn to him. And David said, look, you turned my, you turned my mourning, my sadness, my sorrow, you turned it into dancing and joy. The apostle Paul, he says it the same way, but much shorter. This is in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. Romans eight twenty-eight. he says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The key in all of this is giving God the glory, even in the pit. Notice that passage doesn't say God works the good for, for all, for everyone. That's actually a way that we, we misuse this scripture. Oh, God's just going to work it out. 
God's like, why am I going to work it out for you? You don't even care about me. (laughs) He works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As hard as it might seem to hear this, maybe when you're in the pit, the best thing we can do is say, where can I find God's purpose in my life through this? I'm in the pit. Maybe the pit needs to be swept. (laughs) That's all I can do down here. But God has a track record of lifting us up as we turn to him. We're going to pick up Joseph's story right where we left him. Uh, I was talking to, uh, to Nathan Henderson this week. I was like, I haven't decided if I'm going to get Joseph out of the pit or not this week. Like, I was thinking about leaving him in there. But I was like, well, you can't just leave the guy in the pit. He's had a bad day. Um, so we got him out of the pit, but we're going to leave him at Potiphar's house till next week. Uh, but I want to move on because the, the, the person that we come to talk about every Sunday is not Joseph. It's Jesus. And what I love about the Jesus story is that the Jesus story is that Jesus is God in the flesh who came down to be in the pit. Do you know why God came here as Jesus? Because he wanted to experience life the way we experience it, and most importantly, to show us the way back to his love. And so in Hebrews chapter four, we get this beautiful picture in this passage, Hebrews chapter four, Jesus is referred to as our high priest. That's a Jewish uh, ceremonial worship language, so you don't have to get all that to get this. Jesus, when he says high priest here, we're talking about Jesus, okay? Look at this, listen to this. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, as Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. You know what happens in the pit? You get tempted. And we see Jesus over and over and over again. He loses loved ones. We see a point at which his father is no longer present in his life. We don't know what happens there. We see people betray him. We eventually see him get arrested, unduly, illegally tried, and nailed to a board and hung out to die. This guy understands the pit. It says he was tempted in every way 